0: This is East Lansing Insider, brought to you by ELI on Impact 89 FM. In this show, we break down all of the news and happenings in the East Lansing community. And now, today's East Lansing Insider. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the East Lansing Insider, a news podcast brought to you by East Lansing Info and Impact 89 FM. My name is Andrew Graham, and I am your host for East Lansing Info. I am joined today with Alice Drager, East Lansing's Executive Director Emeritus, I think is what I'm going to call you. Not East Lansing's, East East Lansing Lansing Infos. Infos. You might as well be East Lansing's Executive Director Emeritus. (laughs) Um, So we're here today to talk about East Lansing and the sort of different developments and things going on around town. But first, Alice, thank you for joining me and how are you doing this morning?
1: Thank you. Good. And maybe we should just remind people East Lansing Info is an independent newspaper for the people of East Lansing, and you can find it at eastlancinginfo.news. We are not the government.
0: <laughs> we are not. We are very explicitly not the government. That's kind of our game. So broadly, there's a lot of stuff going on in East Lansing, and I know that's a sentence that's always true, but specifically when it comes to development, there's a lot of notable projects either going on right now being constructed, being discussed. There's some important construction and some other stuff that's worth mentioning. So, the first place I want to start with is the Art Space Report, because that was something that we've covered at Eli about basically it's a Minneapolis based nonprofit, and their game or sort of mission is to come into a town and figure out how to place and develop some affordable housing, live work. Housing, I think, is their phrase for it for creatives. So anything from writers to musicians to digital artists, creatives, create a chef. So they've been they did a study for about a year in East Lansing. We kind of reported on that. And then their report came back and we've reported on that for Eli. uh, Emily Joan Elliott wrote sort of a broader what does this mean for downtown kind of what can we glean from that? But I did want to get more specifically into the art space report itself and look at some of the places that were suggested as potential for low low to moderate income housing or affordable housing for creatives. And we'll, we'll hold off on mentioning the Division Street Garage for now. <laughs> but I want to start with Valley Court Park because I think that is actually a very interesting thought of the use of that space or part of the use of that space. It would probably fit in line with a lot of the other thoughts of what to do with Valley Court Park. But it also seems kind of like it might be shoe hoarding something in there. There's a lot, I think there's a lot to think about with that. So I was curious what your kind of thoughts or reactions to the sort of proposed sites and specifically the Valley Court one in the art space project
1: yeah so this is probably a good time to explain why I'm on sabbatical but I'm on the pod <laughs> so I'm taking a break from Eli however you know you can't leave the place you live in for your break entirely so
0: well you I live you, you could if you really want to you probably
1: could. I live just north of Valley Court Park and so I'm one of the leaders of the Oakwood neighborhood which is Valley Court is actually part of Valley Court Park is part of. So we've been very interested in watching what the city is interested in doing in Valley Court Park. Valley Court Park has been an underutilized resource for many years. It hosts the farmer's market, which is great, but we have no sheltered space like most towns of similar to ours would do. It also has a community center, which has hosted the very important nonprofit Helping Hands Respite Center. However, the community center is in terrible condition. And one of the things the city has been interested in is trying to find a new place for helping hands and trying to take down that building and build something new there. So it's pretty clear that's one of the places they're interested in considering for the art space project. However, the challenge with art space, no matter where they build it, is going to be the money. Construction is very expensive. And labor costs for construction are up a lot. Uh, Materials costs are up a lot. And of course, land downtown is worth a lot. And so trying to find a place where you can have creatives live downtown, which is the ideal, while doing it affordably and making the money all work is going to be extremely difficult. And by the way, ArtSpace doesn't develop the project and then hand it off. They actually function as the landlord of the projects that they do around the country. So they're very serious about trying to get the money to work. We should mention that the city of East Lansing and the DDA together paid $30,000 for this study. I personally didn't find that much revelatory in the study, but maybe that's because I've been paying attention for so many years. Maybe other people would find more revelatory in
0: there. Probably fifty fifty. I don't I guess what I didn't see in it was any sort of I
1: hesitate to, you know, use the
0: bold vision or something, but there wasn't any kind of like what if we did this thing that's kind of totally out of left field, but really actually makes sense if you think about it and it's a little radical. It was all kind of Well, this underused space that we could build this in, it all made sense. And I think you're kind of right, but it wasn't revelatory. It was this is where there's kind of space to build this and where we think like the market cap and all the numbers can kind of work out. So
1: I think where this is going, based on my reading of the Artspace report, is Artspace is going to ask East Lansing for more money to do more study. Probably. I wonder how – Or study
0: a specific – site.
1: Yeah, possibly. I wonder how much tolerance there's going to be for continuing to spend money on something that may never happen. Right. Um, You know, if it does happen, what they're going to do is use federal housing credit. I mean, they're going to find a way to piece this together with state and federal money that's available for this kind of housing. Um, And there is money available for that, but it takes a long time to get all that money in order. So even if they do manage to get a project together, it's going to be a lot of years before we actually see this project happen.
0: Well, uh, any project like this, I would imagine is a comfortable year to construct too
1: but so. valley court park has a lot of other things that um are concerns of people. So there's the small old BWL substation, the cute brick building that's there.
0: I love that building.
1: People love looking at that building, but the city doesn't love that building, understandably, (laughs) because they spent a lot of money to move it from a hillside down into the park when Uh, redevelopment was occurring in that area. And it turns out it took a lot of money to clean it up, and now the roof is collapsing, and it has no ADA accessibility, so you can't just pop bathrooms in there and easily solve the question of where do we have some more bathrooms bathrooms in the area. It's a very difficult um, situation. Personally, just as an individual, not as Eli, I actually recommended at a DDA meeting that they consider letting it degrade and turning it into what's called a garden folly, which is to have basically a gentle ruin that is surrounded by beautiful community gardens, um, which they thought I was kidding. But I wasn't actually kidding because it is a difficult building to deal with. And the city has been understandably concerned about where they're going to get the money to fix that building, to do something with it. So that's kind of rough. And then the the tennis courts in Valley Court are generally underutilized. The green grass is well used. Students who live in the neighborhood play ultimate Frisbee there. They play lots of games there. And then there's a lovely playground that the city put in not too long ago, and that's heavily used by kids in the neighborhood, kids who are at the farmer's market, but also the People's Church Preschool uses that playground. Yeah. So it's a park that in many ways needs a re-envisioning and some reinvigoration, but, you know, money is always a consideration.
0: Naturally, Well, and it's also – Valley Court Park is also has the sort of location factor of it too, if it's sort of adjacent to downtown and – It's kind of a very specific scenario of having this city-owned park that's very valuable in a number of different guises, either as something to develop or as a green space and as something, you know, it can be attractive. You know, I'm thinking of Central Park in New York. That's obviously a very pie-in-the-sky sort of thing, but the idea of you have this built-up downtown, it's nice to have some legitimate open green space 500 feet away. And so I think keeping that, losing that, what Valley Court Park is this very loaded, Of what to do with
1: it. My spouse has often likened it to Central Park as well, because I'm from New York and I've dragged him to Central Park many a time, and he's happy in Central Park. However, Central Park is a vastly larger piece of of property, exactly. And Central Park is a mile wide. Valley Court is not a very big park, so it creates lots of challenges. But I think an excellent landscape designer could really radically alter the feeling of Valley Court Park to make it a vibrant urban park, and I think it could be incredibly exciting. Many people, for example, want to see a public amphitheater, so that when the festivals are in town. We can be having concerts there. And we haven't been having concerts there in the last several years, which is kind of a shame because it's a great space for that. However, there's not a lot of parking near there. So it does create challenges if you want to do the festivals down there.
0: I'm going to just go out and say the parking parking garages for someone like me or someone like you aren't that far away.
1: No, uh, they are starting to fill up more. So that's a good thing for the city's bottom line um, and certainly good for the downtown merchants. We're seeing the parking garage is much more heavily used right now.
0: Yeah. No, it's definitely been I, I hesitate to use the word normal because that kind of doesn't mean anything anymore. But right. East Lansing, it's sort of the it's it's an activity level that it just it could be like spring 2018 or something. It's sort of not like there's not a covid people. It's it's it feels like it did when I was in high school. Or right. Whatever. Um, so that is good to see. I do want to ask what your thoughts about art space proposing potentially the Division Street garage
1: uh, that one took me by surprise. Ob- it obviously, it would not be the garage as we know it now. Right. And you know what that frankly signals to me is the city staff told ArtSpace, throw that in there because that garage is degrading. and We don't know what we're going to do to fix it in terms of money. So Something what to do with it? Yeah, that that one is the um, colorful the hamster structure. cage. Yeah, yeah. People call it different things. A, a hamster cage is not what it would be. Called. It's the habit trail. My
0: dad. Yeah. My, my it dad has a, properly informed me that it's, it's called the habit, the habit trail. trail from his youth. Because
1: yeah. it's not a cage. It's the tubes we it's, had when he, your dad and I were kids. And your hamsters would run through these elaborate tube systems. So, in any case, just more plastic. (laughs) That garage is old. It's um, degrading. It's in need of a lot of work. And I think the city is afraid of how they're going to pay for that deal. Pretty sure
0: one of the elevators in it has been broken for like years. I don't
1: know. I haven't been seen it. Or they might have fixed it and it's still crummy. Yeah, I Yeah. I
0: was in it a couple months back and one of the elevators was. Suspects,
1: And this kind of relates to another issue, which is, you know, the whole question of Albert Avenue and what it's supposed to be. And people jokingly call it the avenue of the parking garages, which it is, but it also has businesses along it. East Lansing has been trying to make that Main Street for a long time. But it's hard to make it into a Main Street when it's got a bunch of parking garages all the way down it. I mean, it's it's got a different feel. It's got a lot of cars coming in and out. And those old parking garages in particular are kind of like they, they overwhelm the street feeling. And along the street down the other direction. Is older housing and the landlords there are making enough money that they're not particularly interested, at least at the moment, in terms of turning them over to more yeah. dense housing. So, it, you know, there's this report out from the MEDC that I know we were going to talk about a little bit too, and that was really interesting to me to read. It's actually a couple years old, but I just discovered it by accident um, when somebody sent it to me recently. What it suggests is that you know downtowns can kind of come in two forms. They can come in the form of a main street where you've got a street with things on both sides, which East Lansing doesn't really have because Grand. Avenue no. is a one-sided street.
0: The the closest East Lansing has to a main street, and that guys would really be the alley between Grand River and or, Albert, or maybe M
1: A C. Weirdly, right? M A C has a strange main street kind of feel. It's the other like a option. Cross of
0: downtown core right. you get.
1: But the other option that's identified in the MEDC report is a concept called a downtown district, but they say for that it has to be at least 3 blocks wide. And East Lansing doesn't have a downtown that's 3 blocks deep. It has Grand River to uh, Albert and then it sort of fades it's into, like into older to either housing like
0: Grove or Ann or whatever yes. is kind of behind depending on what how far east or west you go.
1: So what some folks are interested in trying to do is to try to create a system to incentivize development on that northern side of Albert one more block in because if you could do that, then you could actually start to create a downtown district. Right. People like Dan Bowman of the Planning Commission are interested in that.
0: and And this raises, what this gets at to me is I think the sort of East Lansing's in this very odd place right now of they've moved past kind of being this small mid 20th century college town and it's definitely a lot more built up but as you said it's still not big city or even sort of doesn't even you know medium city and that might be sort of tainted by my living here and being local but you're right it's it's not this big downtown district and you kind of it's like you have the i'm just thinking of going down abbott you go past the the graduate and the abbot. You have the bars on the the east side.
1: You go by Dublin Square Albert, and you're done. Dublin Square and you're done.
0: Henry Sharp Park with like Harper's and then it's City William Hall. William Sharp Park. William yes. Sharp Park. Why well, Henry Fine Parks? <laughs> I was mixing my park names up. But yeah, it's it's bopping and thriving and like I drive past there on weekend nights and all the students are walking past and it's tons of it's it is a downtown by every measure of the imagination. But it just definitionally. Isn't. Right. M-E-D-C- and that's the problem that East Lansing's facing is not that it's not by appearance or function or sort of what people want or where it's headed. It just literally does not meet a definition of being a downtown district, I believe. It's and place.
1: also in the MEDC report, um, this was very interesting to me was That they, one of the things they said is that you really shouldn't close streets in the downtown area for projects because closing. I know, exactly, (laughs) exactly. East Lansing is smitten with the Albert Fresco. Not everybody is. I mean, the city is is smitten. There is
0: a certain subsection of people who I think
1: who find it frustrating that the road road keeps closing. And certainly you talked to some on a previous uh, edition of the pod, you've talked to downtown merchants who find it frustrating that their customers can't get in and out easily. What the MEDC report said is if you close roads, you basically stop people from driving through, and it's people driving slowly through that causes them to notice what's there and stop and use the downtown. So this is the thing. People complain in East Lansing about, oh, there's a lot of traffic downtown now. But traffic downtown, I've learned by reading these economic development, reports is actually a really good thing for businesses. And the reason is you're moving slowly enough in a car that you're seeing what's there.
0: And it's also the knock-on effect of then it's also less pedestrian averse to yes which helps.
1: So think about Cedar Street and Larch in Lansing, which are wide fast You're streets. You are going 45 You're 50. past yeah. Everything that's there. You might know that there's a merchant there, like you might know there's a place you want to go like anytime I stop somewhere on
0: Cedar Street or Larch or Pennsylvania or anywhere in Lansing like that it's cuz I've known where I'm
1: going. Exactly. I'm just,
0: oh, I got to get to this place and I pull in.
1: So the traffic on Grand River may be experienced as frustrating for drivers and I get that and really frustrating for bicyclists where there's basically no place for bicyclists. Right. Right. like me to be on Grand River that we're not supposed to be on the sidewalk biking which is makes sense I, I, like I, no I feel like I
0: need to get you to mention the orientation of the sidewalk benches on Grand River oh my
1: gosh that yeah, that's a whole other issue <laughs> you know but the problem is that we've we've got a situation where people are upset with the traffic and yet the truth is the traffic is what a downtown need needs
0: good sign good thing overall yeah, yeah. well it's just Americans are creatures of the car, by and large. And,
1: and Mich- uh, I think Michigan, Michigan especially, especially yeah. yes.
0: Um, and so just yes.
1: one more thing from the MEDC report that I wanted to mention. You know, Originally, East Lansing undertook this very elaborate project of trying to do form-based code, which is basically instituting architectural standards to try to spur redevelopment. And they did this because the MEDC said they wanted cities to do this, and they would provide extra funding for things if cities undertook a form-based code. it was
0: about 2017 when they said this, well, right? Well, now 2016? this report, which is a a couple yeah.
1: years old, the MEDC says don't try to institute architectural standards because the truth is it slows down redevelopment which is what frankly I had been saying based on my reading of well, places where it occurs. Also
0: in a place where I mean East Lansing's like especially downtown probably 70-80% developed already.
1: Very difficult to do of, form-based In terms coding. of
0: just like lots that have been developed not in terms of you know you could obviously turn plenty of lots into bigger things or whatever but like there's not a lot in downtown East Lansing that Hasn't had a site plan built on it once already. Absolutely. Um, and just trying to apply a form to that when there's already forms
1: all Of all existing, different sorts. It's yes. just
0: going to be, I, you are kicking a hornet's nest at that point. I Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So one of the things that the MEDC definitely does want to see consistently is deregulation of redevelopment because uh, and deregulation of businesses because when you have heavy-duty regulation, it slows down the start of a business, which for a small business can be deadly. It's
0: MEDC, Doc, just calling out the city of East Lansing directly you know or like something? I,
1: it almost <laughs> felt like that when the, I was reading it. The city it. of
0: East Lansing is sort of notorious for – it's not that the people working in the city are inherently like – there's just five more layers of approvals and things you have to get done. And that's done. not
1: the city staff's fault. No, that's just that's the, the rules, the laws, it's been built the forms over the yeah. years. And yeah, and so it's
0: just if you're going to go build something in Meridian, there's like three fewer steps to it than there is in East Lansing.
1: And I want to make clear that's we're not pain. advocating for deregulation. What we're doing is describing no, this the way is, that this East is, Lansing I've can heard make things countless difficult.
0: Developers
1: and merchants gripe
0: about this before council.
1: Yeah, talk about how hard it can be. I mean, before Mackerel Sky closed, you know, I was friends with the owners that were there, and Tom and Linda Duffelmeyer would talk to me about how they just wanted to put a couple of planters outside their store with some Pretty greenery and some flowers, and the city regulations. Everybody would be in favor of (laughs) exactly, and the city regulations basically wouldn't allow them. And the city staff was on them about this idea that they could not do this. Now it's gotten better. Sandwich boards are allowed, for example, where businesses can. uh, Covid
0: has helped a lot of the city kind of of back off on that stuff because it came to a point where it's like, well, we can regulate people and they'll be hosed, or we can not and they might not be hosed, or maybe still will be, but then it won't be our fault. Yes, and. Yeah. And I think if you look at a lot of the things that have been deregulated in the city have sort of they sort of let them be because they deregulated them. And, oh, look, it's not the end of the world. And I can understand, too, in East Lansing, some specific logic about you want to maybe keep businesses from keeping too much stuff outside that's movable or breakable and or whatever. trippable. Trippable. Right. And just, you know, think of the sort of hordes of drunk. College exactly. students. <laughs> so I get it. But also, that's kind of governing to the lowest common denominator,
1: (laughs) and that's a big complaint about East Lansing. And yeah, it's that that everything has
0: to be student-proofed and exactly for you know, so the students can't screw it up. It's like, well, can we maybe just have a thing for adults that the adults can use and just hope it goes off? And that's kind of an eternal. Well, also that
1: that East Lansing has this bad habit of assuming always students will
0: screw something up. Not just students, not not just
1: students, right? So. For example, the planning commission deciding to put a rule on the graduate hotel rooftop bar that they could only have plastic wear because somebody might drop a piece of glass over the side and hurt somebody on the ground. Let me tell you, I was in Savannah a few weeks ago for a short vacation. Do they use
0: metal cutlery if you get a... Appetizer up there. I can't
1: recall, but I think they do. But you're break. not allowed to have glassware. So, <laughs> so when you have an expensive drink at the Graduate Hotel, you're having it in plastic, and that includes the inside because it's too challenging for them to so police, regulate if some yeah, somebody yeah. takes a glass outside. So, I was in Savannah a couple of weeks ago for a vacation. and My spouse and I were staying at a hotel that had a rooftop bar, like the Graduate Hotel was really nice to have a glass drink, right? A drink yes. in a glass. Yes. <laughs> but in East Lansing, and, and frankly, somebody in Savannah could absolutely have dropped a glass over the side. Yes. But Savannah is not regulating like yes. East Lansing. The other thing that Savannah had—I mean, anywhere I go, I compare it to East Lansing and think, what are they doing differently, better, worse, whatever. I was,
0: I was in Eugene, Oregon so last the, summer. And did the, the other same thing. thing
1: <laughs> most cities do is most cities have paid parking, where you paid by pay by your license plate at the little machines all through the downtown neighborhood. Yeah, there's
0: like a, there's like an app or yeah.
1: Exactly. If East Lansing did that, it could make a lot more money, but could it chooses good, not it to could do it. It'd also be
0: a good way to institute overnight street parking charges. Absolutely.
1: For it. You could charge for overnight street parking.
0: You know, five but bucks for the pass or whatever. East
1: Lansing has long had the attitude that we cannot have overnight street parking because how would the garbage get picked up and how would the snow get cleared? Somehow Chicago manages to do this, and I, I think lived in it Syracuse, might be worth New York, studying. Where overnight
0: street parking was, where I parked my car for three years, and it. It worked.
1: (laughs) That is, of course, the other fear from people who live in mixed student homeowner neighborhoods like mine is that if you do allow overnight parking on the streets, then you're going to have a situation where students are over occupying apartments and houses because they're going to have extra people living there and their cars are going to be parked on the street and that's how it's going to work. So you're right. There is always these tensions in East Lansing that places like Savannah and places like Chicago don't don't experience. You can always come up
0: with a reason for not doing something that was – part it's of true. what i understand well and i think the overnight street parking too is something that does, it doesn't have to be everywhere like where you live on sunset you just could that would just be a non-starter well, it's too narrow, right so for people to so like you all. know there's just obvious spots where like you couldn't do it but like on parts of like mac through the bailey neighborhood where it's a 30 foot wide road two lanes either like why can't someone park overnight on that portion? It just uh, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me that you can't.
1: And when you ask the city, the answer is the streets need to be clean, the garbage needs to be picked up, et cetera, et cetera.
0: I've never, I've never in my entire life seen a street sweeper on the same street in back-to-back days in the city of East Lansing.
1: Well, I'll tell you what happens in Hyde <laughs> it's just, Park Chicago. There's just not that much going on. What <laughs> happens in Hyde Park Chicago, which I know because my son goes to school at University of Chicago, is the way that they clean the streets is they hang up temporary street closure signs yeah, that say on Wednesday— to... yeah. You're not going to be allowed to park here from the and they hang it up five or six days in advance, yeah. so you get plenty of warning, and you know that's when they're street and cleaning. They'll come tow
0: you if you yeah. park and there, and they do, yeah,
1: and they do tow you, well, and the city makes well, money well, off of those the toes. Houstonians
0: too can recognize, you know, you got to do, you got about two weekends where you tow all the people who do it wrong, and everyone will learn <laughs> to do it right. I, I don't know, like I'm not saying that's what you want to do, but. You might have to just be prepared to do that for the long-term benefit of, you know, providing overnight street parking. But
1: these are issues that, you know, people are, I think, going to be discussing in the coming years. Certainly Dan Bowman of the Planning Commission wants to talk about a lot of these ideas, including overnight street parking, including accessory dwelling units, including trying to think about how to deepen the downtown so that it has a vibrancy that extends beyond Albert Avenue.
0: Well, because right now it does kind of seem like there's almost – it's at risk of being bifurcated in a sense of – you kind of go campus, Grand River, big build up on Grand River, big build up on the Albert side, big build up on the north side of Albert, and then you go and it's just Bailey neighborhood.
1: And it crashes down, and yeah, it's just that would be
0: really jarring to go from you know a single family house or a you know five person student rental house, you know just a house, and then across the street is just suddenly a bunch of 12-story high-rises.
1: Right, but you can't regulate, you know, you, yeah, you land can't just use just say, to the hey, point no, of can... saying you have to yeah. build a six-story building. And so what's happened is the houses... Well, you is... could with a
0: form-based code, kind of, I think. Well, you,
1: but you can't force somebody to get rid of what they already have. Right. And the truth is that the downtown houses that are owned by the landlords are incredibly lucrative in terms of the amount of rent coming in and that's why they're not interested in redevelopment. Yeah. So maybe we should talk about that other side of Albert So the MSUFCU building is going up. Everybody must know where it is because it's signed as MSUFCU awesome. and... It's the, green, the massive one of course, green. Yeah. <laughs> and it's right next to Dublin Square. And people are asking me, "Is that every, how big it's every time be?
0: that wall gets taller?" I am slightly more sympathetic to Paul Mulhakus's crusade against it.
1: Well, you know, we don't take sides, <laughs> I, but
0: I get he saw the issue with it. I think before a lot of other people were able to see it. What, like, what, whatever you think of it, either way, if you don't like it, he saw why you wouldn't. Oh yeah, very. But early let's recall on.
1: he wanted to build a building, well, yes. a, a building that spanned both where the MSUFCU is. There's more here than just is, him not liking the wall. Yes. yes, as I reported for Eli, MSUFCU told us they basically he tried to get them to let him in on the development, yeah. and when they didn't let him in on it, then that is the point at which that he completely Is the took twisted explanations
0: of an 800-pound gorilla headline <laughs> yeah, story? <laughs> that is that gotcha. story. A, that was a fantastic headline. Uh,
1: that was a very interesting story to get to write. So that when people ask us why are there no windows on that side of the building, we should explain. It's built all the way to the lot line, and the assumption is the Dublin Square property will get redeveloped into a tall and building at some point, and therefore there would be no windows. Together. So,
0: yeah, and I, I also, I, I'm not certain, but just looking at how that's buildings being built, it's looking like that part of the building might be like elevator.
1: Yes, shaft, it's got the elevator service, shafts. It's got the bathrooms and those sorts of things. From what I see on the drawings,
0: conduit. Yep that kind of stuff. So, it's... so there
1: will be no parking at that building and all of the parking for that building will have to be Albert Avenue garage, presumably, and Grove Street. And those two are starting to fill up. So one of the things I think city staff is going to start getting worried about is the question of parking. Of course, people who are not pro-car say stop building parking garages and people will get downtown by walking and biking and other means. But winter does happen. So. Yeah.
0: Well, and if you're also, I, one of the things that I know has been kind of I don't know that it entirely makes sense, but I know there's been a desire to make downtown a place that's not just for, you know, sort of students and younger people. You you have Newman Lofts has kind of been put there, and there's a desire to have it be something that's accessible for older people, basically. And let's be real, there are plenty of active older people in East Lansing, but there's also plenty of older people who would need to be driven to somewhere or drive somewhere. Sure. In fact, the MSU-FCU
1: building is going to have a community space where they're expected to have concerts that will attract senior citizens. There's no simple place to drop people off there. It's going to be very The expectation
0: that there are plenty of active seniors in East Lansing who walk and go all sorts of places, but there are also plenty of seniors who need to drive and maybe park and make a much shorter walk because... Like,
1: it might just, be worth mentioning. Re- Chris,
0: reasonable to me.
1: <laughs> yes. Chris Wolfe of the Planning Commission actually voted against recommending the project MSUFC because he said it's just too much building on a, a yeah, very small piece I, of land. I do
0: remember his his thing was just effectively like, why is it going up to the lot line? There's just so
1: why is it going to the lot line? Why yeah. does it have no open space? Because the, yeah. the zoning code actually requires some open space, and the city staff decided to shoehorn in the idea that community space on the inside counted as public open space, which is weird because you have to get permission to use that space. So it's not public open space like is required from other projects. So it's going to be an interesting thing to watch play out in practice.
0: I'm just waiting for another thing to happen with it. It's the MSU-FCU. They decide to change the color of the building to orange midway through or something. You're just just
1: from Syracuse. Just
0: unrepentant. Nobody at Syracuse builds anything orange because they have the good sense to recognize it would be hideous if they built something really big that was orange.
1: Yeah. You'd have to make it a parking garage, right?
0: We just... Yeah, well, we just... We just worship our amorphous round orange who isn't the fruit. He's just a ball of orange. That's that's your Syracuse mascot talk on the East Lansing Insider this week. We got about a, a minute left here. Is there any last urgent things you wanted to share, Alice.
1: Just wanted to explain to people that the new hospital McLaren was built where it was not because they don't like East Lansing or something, <laughs> but because there's a thing called a Certificate of Need, which has to do with the federal government's decision about where hospitals are needed and has to do you with why it's built, built in Lansing. You can't just build a hospital
0: willy-nilly. There's kind well, of Well, not specific... not financially. Yeah, you can't no. build
1: them willy-nilly. And Andrew and I have joked that they built it there because of the constant accidents happening. Daily. One, once a day. <laughs> at the intersection of Trowbridge and 127 and 496. If you're driving there today, could you please Please slow down just and drive carefully. Know so where police... you need to go.
0: Prepare for your maneuvers before break. you do it. Yep. East-,
1: East Lansing police are very low on officers right now. In fact, they're heavily advertising to try to get more officers. They do not need more accidents at 127 and 496 in
0: Trowbridge. No. We could do a week's worth of content just about that interchange. <laughs> All right. So we are out of time. Alice, thank you very much for joining. This was a very fascinating and I think sort of sidebar discussion about what's going on in East Lansing. And I think that's kind of a great use of the pod so you're welcome thank you for coming on this has been another episode of the east lansing insider brought to you by east lansing info and impact 89 fm my name is andrew graham and thank you for listening east lansing insider is brought to you by eli on impact 89 fm we are on the web at eastlansinginfo.news and impact89fm.org thanks for listening